Welcome everybody to the first CMS Pensions Lawcast. It's the first in a series and they're going to be happening every fortnight. Today's exciting hot topic is on the subject of suspending or deferring uh, contributions to DB schemes or to DC schemes. And our first speaker today is Kaylee Garforth. Thanks, Mark. So today I'm going to talk about what is ordinarily required in relation to the payment of deficit repair contributions. So ordinarily, employers must pay deficit repair contributions at the rates and by the due date set out in the schedule of contributions. And the trustees have a duty to check that the deficit repair contributions are paid in line with the schedule of contributions. So to do this, the trustees might need some additional payments information from the employer. And the employer must provide that information within seven working days of the trustee's request. If that information isn't provided within that time frame, then the trustees must notify the regulator and they must notify the regulator within 10 working days of the request of the original payment. So if there has been a late payment of deficit repair contributions, then trustees would contact the employer in order to understand why there has been a late payment and they would seek to recover the outstanding payments. Trustees would also look at the trustee and rules to see whether or not the late payment has triggered the winding up of the scheme. And the trustees would also bear in mind that they have a fiduciary duty to seek to deliver the promised scheme benefits under the scheme rules. Okay, so next I'm going to talk about what is ordinarily required in relation to if there has been a material late payment. So if there has been a material late payment, then the trustees must report the late payment to the pensions regulator and the members within a reasonable period of time. So what this means in practice is that they should report it to the regulator within 10 working days of them having reasonable cause to believe that a material late payment exists. And they should report it to members within 30 days of the report to the regulator. So as you will see, the trustees only need to make these notifications if there has been a material late payment. And what this means in practice is where contributions or other amounts which are due under the schedule of contributions are not paid on the due date. And the trustees have a reasonable cause to believe that the failure is likely to be of a material significance to the pensions regulator in the exercise of its functions. So in practice, if the deficit repair contributions have been outstanding for a period of 90 days, then this will constitute a material late payment and the trustees will be required to notify the regulator and the members. In addition, if the trustees have reasonable cause to believe that the employer is unwilling or unable to pay the contributions, then this will also constitute a material late payment and the trustees will be required to notify the regulator and the members. So I'll now hand over to Mark. Mark is going to talk in more detail about the deferral of DB deficit repair contributions. Thanks, Kaylee. So I'm now going to talk about um, more of the issues that, that face trustees and employers in deferring DB scheme contributions. And the first place to start really is that 
it is down to the trustees to decide. They're not forced to, to do this. The onus is on the employer to convince the trustees uh, that this is a thing that they can properly do. And in terms of um, some of the technical aspects, obviously trustees always need to look and see what is in the scheme rules, um, check whether there is any wind up uh, triggered or not by a deferral. Assuming there isn't, then you're good to consider the rest of the proposal. Now, we've got to take into account some aspects of uh, pensions legislation here. So. First of all, even if the scheme rules say that the employer has power to defer these contributions, that is overridden because it's inconsistent with the funding legislation. So the employer doesn't have a uh, carte blanche to use that power to get out of paying statutory funding contributions. The second point to note is that it's potentially a deemed um, loan if you defer contributions not in accordance with the new schedule, for example, then that will be treated as a, uh, a loan to the employer. Ordinarily, loans to employers from pension schemes are um, prohibited and it's a criminal offence to, to do it. Um, but fortunately, if you're deferring contributions that would be payable under the schedule, then that is exempt from those um, requirements and, and those penalties. So what one of the, the issues to look out for under the Finance Act 04 is that um, if a sum is due from an employer to a scheme by a certain date and isn't paid by that date, then it could be treated as an unauthorised employer payment and lead to tax charges both on the company and on the scheme. But as long as that deferral arrangement is done at arm's length terms, then it's fine and you don't need to worry about tax any further. Um, trust law really governs the, the position um, and doing the right thing for the members and the scheme is the most important thing. Um, uh, one of the key sort of first points to check, and it might be obvious, but you need to think about whether the employer is worth more to you alive than dead. There can occasionally be a situation where value is rapidly diminishing from the employer group and it would actually be better to just draw everything to a conclusion, get a wind up triggered and get whatever you can from the assets before they're all gone. But assuming that's not the case, then you move on to consider whether um, there's going to be equitable treatment of the scheme and, and do the best you can if you are going to agree to it. But in making those considerations, you must not take into account the fact that the Pension Protection Fund sits there as a safety net for pension schemes. Uh, the case of ITS and HOPE a few years ago confirmed that trustees aren't allowed to let that um, affect their consideration of an issue. So you just ignore the PPF's existence for this purpose. So gathering all the information, if the employer doesn't play ball in doing that, then either just say no or uh, ask the TPR to put pressure on them to, to give the relevant information. So moving on now to the TPR element uh, of all of this, they have, as most, most of you will know, um, issued guidance about deferrals and the sorts of things trustees should take into account. It's important to remember it's, it's not down to TPR to make this decision, it's entirely down to the trustees. So although the guidance is interesting and useful, 
ultimately the trustees have to decide what they feel is right for the scheme. Um, the, 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 the guidance from the regulator is very clear that you have to um, get as much information as you can from the employer. There has to be genuine need for a cash deferral from the employer's perspective and, and it's down to the trustees to, to get to the bottom of that and, and reach a decision. And, and ultimately, what, what the regulator's keen to see and, and trustees should be as well is equitable treatment of all the stakeholders. So the employers shouldn't be going to the trustees as a soft touch. Uh, and, and certainly in terms of the guidance that's come out, this idea that, you know, which some employers have jumped onto in terms of the headlines out there, that there's a three month deferral that, that of course you can have and you just have to debate whether it's any longer. That's not the case. Three months is more about where employers are struggling to gather the relevant information for the trustees. And obviously, the longer the deferral period goes on, then the more likely it is that trustees will feel they need to get forms of security, whatever the employer is able to, to give them if they are to agree to it. So now handing over to Laura to look at a bit more detail in, in terms of the process trustees will be following. Thanks, Mark. So, yeah, I'll talk a bit about the practical steps that the trustees need to think about and also the company as well. So the first one is seeking advice and more specifically covenant advice. Um, the regulator recognises that when employers are in a distressed situation, this might require external covenant advice where perhaps trustees might not seek it in the ordinary course of business. So what trustees might want to do in this situation, especially if things are moving at a fast pace, is get a, a short piece of verbal advice backed up with a, with a short piece of written advice rather than commissioning a full covenant report. Um, trustees need to be prepared for potential negotiations with employers in what is likely to be a really high stress and fast paced, fast moving situation. Um, what trustees should try and do is be as flexible as possible when they're requesting information from the, com from the company and try not to request information that the company might not be preparing normally unless it's really necessary. It's an area that's quite rife for conflicts, especially if you've got trustees who are involved in um, dealing with the distress situation at the company as well. So trustees should be aware that conflicts might ar arise and they should remind themselves of the scheme conflicts policy as well. Employers might be concerned about confidentiality of certain sensitive commercial information that they're passing to the trustees. So trustees might want to consider setting up a subcommittee so that sensitive information doesn't go to the full trustee board. So if the trustees aren't getting traction with the company um, and they feel like they're not getting a fair deal for the scheme compared to other, other creditors, they might want to involve TPR. Um, TPR has got a number of powers it can use, including demanding certain information from employers. Um, it's also set up an emergency email address for urgent cases. As Mark says, um, trustees, as with any trustee decision, they need to consider all the relevant factors and they need to ensure that those considerations have been documented. 
In terms of documenting the deferral itself, the trustees will need to decide whether they want to amend the schedule of contributions or whether they simply want the schedule of contributions to be breached and then they don't notify the regulator or members. Um, even with the regulator's guidance, which has extended the notification periods for these breaches, we think in most circ circumstances, the most appropriate step to take is to amend the schedule of contributions. And then finally, trustees should continue to monitor the employer covenant. They should negotiate in ongoing information monitoring provisions into any legal agreement that they come to with the, with the employer. And also, if things improve quicker than perhaps is intended at the time of putting the agreement into place, you want to have provisions in there which give the flexibility for the contributions to restart. So I'll pass on to Joe now to talk a bit more about reducing contributions in the DC world. Thanks, Laura. So moving on to DC, is it possible to reduce the rate of money purchase contributions and what are the issues to bear in mind? And note, of course, that reduced rates may appeal not just to certain employers, but also to members looking for greater flexibility at this time. Well, first up, can DC contribution rates actually be reduced? And the starting point here is that the usual rules apply. So by this, I mean you need to begin by checking your trustee and rules, seeing what they require and whether there are any flexibilities built in to allow you to reduce either member and or employer rates without making specific amendment. Another thing to check are the contracts of employment because these may prescribe minimal rates. And a further but significant point to consider is whether your scheme is used for auto-enrolment purposes. It's quite likely that it is, and this of course means that the contributions payable must comply with the auto-enrolment minima. Now, in practice, if employers are only paying what's required by auto-enrolment, this is gonna make it practically impossible for them to initiate any action that will reduce the rate they pay. For members seeking flexibility, Maybe that their only option is to opt out of the scheme and the AE regime entirely. The employer, though, will want to make sure that they are not taking any action to disincentivise members from participating in an auto-enrolment scheme, given the potential penalties for doing so. So does the COVID context add anything to this? Well, not much. Uh, TPR has stressed that employers have obligations in relation to auto-enrolment and that these continue, and also that trustees must continue to ensure that investments are made promptly, their contributions are invested promptly. Now, if there is scope to reduce rates while still complying with auto-enrolment, what does this involve? Well, reducing rates is a listed change, so on the face of it, this is going to require a 60-day consultation with members or the risk of a fine. However, strict adherence to the consultation timescales may not be practicable in current circumstances, and TPR has specifically stated that it will not take regulatory action uh, if there is a failure to consult for the full 60 days, provided that the staff have been furloughed and the proposal only relates to the staff on furlough and for as long as they are on furlough. Um, the employer must also continue to communicate the effects of the change as, as, thoroughly, as thoroughly as they can do, and they must carry out as much consultation as they can. So whilst this is helpful, it is of limited application. It doesn't apply for staff who haven't been put on furlough, and in these cases, the full consultation requirements will continue to apply. Now, there are other process aspects, too, that we can't forget about. You might be needing to make amendments to the rules, uh, the trustee. Um, you might be needing to amend contracts and you should also be looking at the payment schedule as well. So finally, what are the other points to bear in mind? Well, I alluded to this earlier, but it's not just employers who might welcome flexibility around ongoing contribution rates. 
Even for some members still working and being paid as normal, there may be greater financial pressures at home and they may well welcome the ability to pay less or even nothing into the scheme for a period of time. More generally, stakeholders will want to understand how existing COVID-related action may affect what's actually payable. So, for example, where staff have been furloughed or have agreed to pay cuts, you need to be checking how this feeds through under the trustee and rules. You might assume that the reduced salary will simply feed through so that members and employers pay less than they would have done previously. However, if your uh, definition of pensional salary under your trustee and rules was set at a particular date, for example, January, then you'll actually be continuing to make contributions based on that higher rate, even though the member is being paid less now. And I think you can see in that context why parties might be looking for additional flexibility now. From the trustee perspective, well, trustees won't want to unnecessarily restrict any flexibility, but they will want to be making sure that the member's position is protected here. So it might be around ensuring that the options are, are available at the member's choice rather than imposed on them, and also making sure that they can be quickly reversed with members either opting back in or opting back up to their previous contribution levels. And finally, you should be considering if there are any other benefits that are affected. An example might be the effect on death benefits here or also on a final salary link if it's the case that members have to actually opt out of the scheme to receive the flexibility they want. And all this leads to the question, well, is it really worth it? Compared to DRCs, DC contributions are probably pretty small. It's hard to know how long these times will last at the moment, but it does seem as though there's an awful lot of process to go through for potentially only a few months flexibility. And our experience has been just that. There's an awful lot of process to consider and where the scope of the savings are quite small, businesses have other issues to focus on. Thanks, Joe. Um, so really, all I'd like to say is thank you to you for listening to this uh, broadcast, uh, what we're now calling Pensions Lawcast. There'll, there'll be another one along in a fortnight. I hope you found it uh, interesting and useful. Mm -hmm.